0: And I'm going to share this morning, I guess, in a way. I'm not necessarily going to preach. Uh, my message is in two parts. One part is kind of giving context and making some comment. And then the second part is looking at how Scripture addresses uh, some of the things that I'm going to raise. And I've, I've got, a, I guess, a few motivations in this uh, and a few few uh, boxes I want to tick for want of a better word as I go through. Uh, Last week after the service, and who who was here last week heard uh, the gospel is for everyone, okay? And we heard, uh, I I thought was a great message on uh, let's keep this about Jesus. And uh, where I want to go is part two to this, but also try and address maybe some of the difficult undercurrent questions that often go along with what we were talking about last week in the context of what is happening right now as regards international conflict. It was interesting that I went into the foyer last week after the message and I had a conversation with one of the great young men in the church. I figure he's about 17 last year of high school, something like that, and uh, a great young man And we got talking, and we don't talk much, but we actually got talking, which was really good. And uh, one of the questions he asked me was, is this the big one? And I was a bit taken aback by it. I'm like, what what do you mean, like, the war? He said, yeah, is this the big one? I said, you mean Armageddon? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Um, I was taken aback, but apparently, you know, the blogosphere or whatever it is and TikTok is filling up uh, predictably with the doomsayers and the soothsayers and all the false prophets of our age. And, uh, and I, I just found it strange that, you know, a young fella is actually concerned about this. And uh, upon talking, so are his friends. There's a lot of concern. I was actually talking with one of our teachers this morning who gave me an example of a high school student just week, this week just totally freaking out in the classroom over these things. Um, and so I thought it would pay to kind of have a bit of a chat about this. How you doing? Okay. Uh, when it comes to this war, and this is what I said to him, without doubt it's precarious. It always is. Tell me a time when a bomb hasn't gone off in the Middle East and it hasn't been precarious. Please, just tell me if that ever did happen. It doesn't. It's always precarious. It's happened many times. But the one thing I reassured him and I want to reassure us, we've got to remember, if we understand our scripture, God winds this up, not some idiot with a nuclear trigger. Can we just get that right? God is actually, our times are in his hand. And, uh, and to tell you the truth, I find great comfort in that because I tell you, you watch too much of the news and you can start to freak out about all this. And then all you need is someone saying something dumb and trying to attach some out-of-context scripture to it and you can have a, you know, a Pentecostal conniption. <laughs> um, and I always just come back to, hang on a sec, who have I actually believed? Come on, who have I trusted? Who have we trusted? We only trust him on calm Sundays, do we? Or do we trust him when things really ramp up? Um, but it did raise the question about the war, and maybe how we should think about it—not w- not what we should think about it, but how we should think about it—and not just this war. I actually thought, well, probably about any war. Where does the Christian stand in all this stuff? Because I guess one of the one of the things I wanted to mention to t- today, I'm very aware that we have both veterans and those on active service currently in the midst. Of our congregation every week. Faithful people who love Jesus but could actually be drawn into the vortex at any time. And I think they actually, and what I want to say, I really want to today to affirm your duties from Scripture. But I also want to be very, very clear. I'm going to try and be very, very clear about a number of things today. And this is my preamble to what when I want to bring Scripture in. One thing is clear. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's clear. This is part two of the message last week. So if you mistakenly think I'm advocating for war, please refer to part one. But I must admit, and I don't know whether you feel the same, it's so frustrating to see evil in plain sight and almost feel gagged from calling it out. I am actually aware you know, of Jewish background young people who aren't game to talk about being Jewish in Australian Christian high schools at the moment. And that's just really, really sad. So here's some broad brushstrokes about the current crisis, just broad brushstrokes. I think, and I don't know whether you agree, and it's okay if you don't, I think the mainstream, by and large, mainstream media reporting has been absolutely shameful. Shameful. This week, they were arguing over uh, whether the term beheading was appropriate rather than decapitation because they did not want to give a false impression that things were more brutal than what they really were. (laughs) At the end of the day, the kid doesn't have a head. And you're going to argue semantics over this. That, That not only really reveals a lack of moral fibre, but it reveals a much deeper politically driven motive. Another broad brushstroke is Israel seems to be, uh, modern Israel, the only nation on earth told by politicians, media and protesters what their response to terror should be. I'm not sure we would try and tell anyone else what they should do. Um, The misled perceptions, even from our own government, sadly, regarding making a clear distinction between Hamas and the Palestinian people, uh, I read, you know, it's always best to go to the horse's mouth, isn't it? So I went to government website and read what our foreign minister had to say about it, and uh, they actually used as an example the situation, the Taliban and the Afghanistan people. And there could be nothing further from the truth. The Taliban were never elected to power and were insurgents right to the day that they took Kabul and now rule the nation with a rod of iron and terror uh so the difference is that hamas unfortunately were not only elected to power which they quickly made it a dictatorship that's for sure but still by polls as recent as 2021 enjoy over 53 percent popular the popularity with the people so it's not all i'm saying is it's a blurred line we we Things like this can't be carved up into neat little cookie-cutter sound bites. They just can't. Um, Let's be clear about Hamas. Hamas planned these attacks for years and did nothing to prepare the civilian population. For example, uh, they pretty well know that they'll get bombed if they attack, and yet they didn't build any bomb shelters, most likely because of the traction civilian casualties give them with the international community, and much of the mainstream media. So let's make no mistake, Hamas is a terrorist group that rules Gaza with no regard for the safety and security of the Palestinian civilian population. Now let's be clear about Israel. I'm just trying to bring clarity to this. Are you okay? I'm not trying to be political. I'm just, can we think clearly about this? Let's be very clear about Israel. Israel is a secular state. Modern Israel is a secular state, exactly like Australia. Uh, And just like every other secular state is far from perfect, the great bulk of the people there are probably like the great bulk of Australians in their thinking. Another thing about Israel is they wield disproportionate military might. Um, There is a reason for it. And that reason is... They're a tiny nation, and every nation on every border with them has at some point tried to wipe them off the face of the planet, sometimes several nations combining at a time. That's Israel's reality. I found it amazing when they were interviewing victims of the attacks in southern Israel that they didn't really take a lot of notice of the rockets at first because it's just such a common thing. <laughs> so it was like, I oh, had just another day in the city kind of thing, and then all of a sudden it wasn't. So let's be clear about war in general now, not this war. I'm using it as a context, but now let's just let's just drop down into, let's just talk about human conflict. One thing is God ordains government to create order, okay? Scripture teaches that, and we'll get to Scripture in a moment. That does not mean God affirms their behaviours in totem. It's just that, God affirms human government because without human government, human beings can't flourish. We just go back to the old ages where you just kill people so that you could eat or whatever. So government's there for a reason. And as we'll see from the New Testament, it's, it's got deeper things as well, deeper meaning. Uh, number two, therefore, war between governments or between peoples or whatever War is a human thing, purely human. There is no such thing as a holy war. There is no justification for it. War comes out of the brokenness of people. That's it. We have to own it and stop just blaming everything and everyone else. No, it's us. And I don't care if your strong religious beliefs make you think it's a holy war. In the eyes of God, it ain't. War's a human thing. There's no such thing as a holy war. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who came to end hostility, but both between men and God and men to men. I was watching this week a Christian channel, a very famous one, a blurb on YouTube, and the interviewer, obviously coming from... Uh, Western evangelical Christian thought, popularised thought, literally tried to put scripture in the mouth of the rabbi that he was interviewing, saying, do you see this as a fulfilment of Joshua something or other and Israel's now going to get the whole of the Holy Land? And the Jewish rabbi was horrified and put the guy in his place for his poor hermeneutic and use of the scriptures and says we would never, we have always avoided trying to superimpose ancient writings on today's events. Whereas in the West, Christians are very, very quickly, quick to do what the Jewish people who actually own those scriptures never did. So we, we need to just be very, very careful there. War is a human thing. Third thing, human actions, actions create fault lines that at times elicit military response. That is a fact. Human brokenness, human frailty, creates fault lines in the human race, and conflict happens. So the bottom line becomes, what do we do with the problem of evil? Um, There wouldn't be too many thinking people that did not see the necessity of what happened with ISIS in northern Iraq and Syria. Wouldn't be too many people who could see a different way out of that situation. But I have to say, before we go any further, can I just say, if you're Jewish here, have Jewish friends, Jewish background, Palestinian, or some other form of Arab background, national background, either here with us or within the scope of our influence, then you are welcomed, you are loved, you're accepted And as a faith community, we would do all that we could to keep you safe. So now I get to the message. You ready for the message? I called it thinking straight in a twisted world. Um, I know that that could have other connotations nowadays, but I don't care. I'm sticking with it. I could, I guess, should have maybe said thinking clearly in a muddy world. I don't know. Psalm 122, verses 6 to 9, says, Pray for the. Which is insane. Um, I agree with certain commentators that I've heard that say that Jewish people throughout history, and I am a bit of an amateur history buff, I love my history, but Jewish people seem to have been almost a barometer of humanity. Their treatment through history is like a barometer, and it's incredible. If you look at major world conflicts that have broken out, have almost all been preceded by the kind of genocidal behaviour that we've seen recently before they occur. It's almost like at times the Jewish people have been called the canary in the coal mine. They used to take the little bird in, so if there was dangerous gas, they'd see the bird die and they'd know to get out. And it's almost like that, the way that the Jewish people are treated is a little bit of a a barometer. Um, And so I think we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You have to understand in a secular state that uh, there's plenty of Muslim people in Jerusalem living quite peacefully in Jerusalem right now. And again, it's an interesting thing, but it's like media and popular perception or political narrative always seeks to divide and energise. Sometimes even when there is peace can make it seem like there's no peace. I think we should be able to pray for for the peace of Jerusalem without a problem. Because in one sense, it's kind of like feeding the canary. Who likes to see the healthy canary? Or if if you're down the coal mine, who wants the canary to look happy? Could we pray for Jerusalem right now? Could we do it? Heavenly Father, We respond to your word and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And all the different people that live there that are represented, Father, people that are totally not interested in spiritual things whatsoever, people on the opposite end of the spectrum of different faiths that are absolutely uh, fundamentalist in their thinking, Father, for the big fat middle of people who really just want to have a life and a family and, and live in peace. We pray for them, Father. We pray for them. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And as Jerusalem has peace, may it be a barometer for our world in Jesus' name. Okay, so where does, just before I leave that thought, here's the danger. Here's the danger. If we feel we need to justify anything, I'm hoping I'm going to come across like none of this is justified. If we try and justify anything, we have seen uh, uh, as we've, the, the stuff we've seen in recent days, the stuff that's ongoing right now. If we try and justify it, rationalize it in some way, the biggest risk is we lose sight of our shared humanity. And as I mentioned last week, again, it is this spirit of the age, the spirit of Babylon the spirit of fragmentation, the spirit of confusion, the spirit of scattering, literally what Babylon means in Scripture. It's that spirit at work in us if we lose sight of our common humanity. So where does war fit after exhorting that? And I want to read a couple of passages. Can I read a couple of passages of Scripture? They're pretty lengthy. But can I, just from the New Testament, so this is New Testament... Um, This is Paul and Peter. I thought I'd take two, two apostles for double the weight. Romans chapter 13. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That's always been a hard scripture for me to wrestle with. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for, the con- for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Now, before I break that open a little bit, I want to read Peter because his is very similar. One Peter two, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, not, use, not yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants to God. Honour all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honour the king. They're really, really powerful words. Both Paul and Peter instructed first century Christians to be subject to ruling authority. It seems insane to me when you think about who the ruling authority was. We're talking about first century Rome. Even in this world, it would be hard to find a government that did not pra- that, that practices some of the barbarity that we see in first century Rome so we have to ask then why is it here and why would a christian apostle talk about this government is for the sake of society because a fragmented society is not conducive to the grand ethic that we see in genesis chapter 1 go forth be fruitful and multiply In other words, God's first command to man was flourish. And you can't do that in a fractured world. So government is there to bring order so that people can flourish. Human flourishing is number one. Interestingly, by New Testament times, it becomes very, very obvious that God is using human government for the spread of the gospel. Um, as as I said it's funny if anyone was going to call out the government of his day and it's so funny seeing people call out the government of their day like Christians using scripture to do it like just don't bother Jesus would have beat you to the punch are you guys okay? you're very quiet Jesus would have beat you to the punch he didn't say anything (laughs) he gives one illusion birds have nests foxes have holes Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. It was a reference to Pilate as the eagle. They marched under the Roman eagle. It was a reference to Pilate and it was a reference to Herod, the corrupt systems of his day. And that's all he said. In other words, he was saying they've got their world system, but I'm something different. I mean, Jesus wasn't even looking for a place to lay his head here. He realised how temporal it was. Rome was beyond wicked in so many ways, but between their roads, the tip of the spear peace that they practised, and common law, they paved the way for the spread of the gospel in an unprecedented way. There was no better time for the gospel to hit the world than first century Rome. So God ordains government, it doesn't mean God agrees with everything government does. Can, Can we make that distinction? God ordains order and government but that doesn't mean people make decisions god wants them to make hey come on you can't make decisions god wants you to make <laughs> am i the only one <clears throat> the confusion comes in when we start calling things holy wars or we start seeing them like that that somehow god has a stake that god is on our side Again, no, war is purely a human thing and sometimes it seems unavoidable, sadly. So can you be a believer and a soldier? Of course, our military needs, every military needs Christian witness. Why would it not need that? The thing about becoming part of the military machine is individuality is absorbed into one force wielded by government power. Hopefully, hopefully, to prevent and limit evil that's what the new testament teaches why is that government there why does he have a sword to limit evil and it doesn't matter which side of the fence the evil's coming from it's there to limit evil so another question is is war the ultimate answer that will bring peace Well, sadly, history would tell us that it never was and it never will be. Even major wars fought in the past where we can celebrate and dance in the streets, we have peace. There's only one side of the conflict celebrating and dancing. Have you ever noticed that? There's only ever one side that celebrates. So no, war will never bring peace. Killing begets killing. Violence begets violence. And we can be so quick as people, if we're honest, if we're honest. Anyone who ever says they liked a John Wick movie or The Equaliser or some other hero that gets the bad guys, we buy into the myth of redemptive violence so quickly. We love the myth of redemptive violence. So much of our entertainment is predicated on our love to think that violence could bring justice. But no one wins a war. Everyone loses. So is there an answer? I'm so glad you asked. You ready for the answer now? We're getting to the end. You ready for the answer? I might be biased. Of course, this is the ultimate answer, is the cross of Jesus Christ where all the angst and the pain and the hatred and the frustration is poured out on one man who willingly spreads his arms and takes upon himself the pain and the angst and the sin of the whole human race, both pre him and post him. Every ugly, wicked, horrible, evil thing poured out on the most innocent person to walk the planet. And he willingly accepted it rather than propagate the myth of redemptive violence. Think about the apostles coming to you. Think about Peter drawing the sword in the garden. Because <laughs> Peter's like, the myth of redemptive violence will fix this. What's Jesus say? Put your sword away. What's he do? Puts the guy's ear back on. I came to heal. I didn't come to destroy And this is the beauty of the gospel story. And for those of us who have faith, he took that on himself and the wages of our sin killed him. But because it wasn't his sin, death could not hold him. And he's raised in newness of life. And he actually becomes a clear signal that no matter where sin has brought death into a human heart, resurrection and new life is possible. Amen. This is the reason I'm in church. New life is possible. God could have written me off. God should have written me off. But he didn't. Come on. Is there anyone else here that thinks, well, you know, mate? (laughs) not sure why God bothered with me, but here I am. The gospel is the answer to the world. That's it. How do we do it? I have no idea. We just need to be doing it. Last week I spoke about, you know, being in a Muslim nation and watching people come to Christ and be water baptised. One of the most profoundly moving experiences I've ever seen. Because you could see the difference in people's faces. That something had significantly changed and I thought you know what peace is possible on the common ground of the shed blood of Christ so what's our part what's our part as I close what's our part I want to read another scripture Romans chapter 8 verses 19 through 22 for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labours with birth pangs together until now. Just literally, it's like this whole world is in pain trying to give birth and, and what is going to be revealed in that is God's people. So we can say, what's the answer to all this pain and war and, what's in, and all the confusion and we'll never know the truth. Have you, have you worked that out before you get dogmatic? You'll actually never know what's going on. We still don't know what was going on with COVID, do we? I mean, plenty of strong opinions, but no one actually knows. We won't actually know. But what we can do and what we can be is what Jesus died for. This whole world is groaning in expectation to see what new creation looks like, what resurrection life looks like, what lives that reflect things can be different. Violence doesn't need to continue. Rhetoric doesn't need to continue. As I said last week, we have a different mantra. Ours is Jesus saves. Jesus heals. Jesus delivers. Jesus gives fresh starts. Jesus gives us the power to live differently. Come on, we might not be perfect, but we're on a journey. We're journeying. The sons of God are being revealed in us. And girls, that includes you. If I get to be a bride, you get to be a son. It's a position thing in Scripture, it's not a gender thing, okay? That's our part. That's our part. So, let me ask us some questions. Can we just consider three things? And let's just be honest with ourselves. Can I be realistic about these events? Realistic about these events? while determining to be on the side of humanity itself. I'm realistic about what I see going down. I don't have to change the narrative. But actually, the bottom line is people need to find Jesus. He is going to be ultimately the only answer. So the only rhetoric on my lips is going to be Jesus. New creation. Resurrection life, forgiveness, new starts, power to live different. That's my rhetoric. Another question. Where do I need to speak words of life and hope right now? I know many of us are probably sitting in families and marketplace situations, job sites, workplaces, workshops, whatever it might be, and the rhetoric can get out there and it can be hot and bubbling and carrying on. What some of us are on university campuses. Wow. The the question is not even what are the facts and who's right or who's wrong. The question is, where do I need to speak words of life and hope? And lastly, uh, and, and when I say that, it's because we're called to be peacemakers not side takers. Peacemaker, not side taker. And then finally, what clear action can I take to bring peace to those around me? So when you just think about what clear action, what clear action, you might have someone who's really ramping up at school or really ramping up at the marketplace. Don't don't even try and have a conversation, just do something nice. Drop a coffee on their desk. Just say, I was thinking about you on the way to work. Don't tell them you were thinking, gee, I wish they'd shut up. Just say, I was thinking about you on the way to work. Just be kind. Be new creation. Be something different. Be holy. As I am holy is what God says. Holy simply means other. Other. Not like this world at all. Not like this world at all. Something separate. Something different something you've never seen before. So where can we do things? Where can we act in such a way to bring life and love and hope to those around us this week? Could we commit ourselves to that this week? Let's just find, like a, find an aggro situation and inject our level of peace into it. Instead of siding with it or getting sucked into the vortex of it, actually bring something different. Let's pray together, hey. Heavenly Father, you love people and what's happening in our world all the time must break your heart. But for us, right here in this room, those online with us, we wanna commit ourselves to being something different, to being a different voice. We wanna commit ourselves to being new creation people, born again by the Spirit of God living in newness of life living in resurrection power and living with a hope that attracts other people to the true answer for our world and we pray it in Jesus name Now, while our heads are bowed just in this place, just in this last closing moment friend you might be with us today and maybe Maybe you've never met the Prince of Peace. Maybe there's been a few storms in your heart, your life. Somehow you found yourself here with us today and you're very, very welcome. But I want to give you the opportunity, like so many of us have done, at some point we opened our heart and we reached out and we said, God, not, not my way anymore, but your way. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, just simply saying, you know, Jesus... I don't have all the answers. I trust you do, and begin to follow Him. So, just in the closing moments, and we're just in this time of prayer. People have got their heads bowed. Friend, if that's you, I'd I'd just love to pray with you. I won't embarrass you. Won't call you down the front or anything like that. But I would love to pray with you just before we leave, very, very quickly. So, if that's you, and you know you need to meet the Prince of Peace this morning, you need to open your heart to Jesus. Would you indicate that just by raising your hand? Just right where you're seated. Just raise it up. Let me acknowledge it. And then I'm just going to pray. God bless you. God bless you. That's wonderful. God bless you. That's wonderful. That's awesome. Yep, I see you there. God bless you. That's wonderful. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you, mate. Fabulous. Now, church, let, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our friends that are just opening their heart, opening their lives to you right now. We thank you for them. We pray you bless them. We pray you'd fill them with your peace. We pray, Father, that your peace and your power would come into them. They would find a new lease on life. They would find the power to live differently, maybe to make different choices where different choices might need to be made. They'd find incredible joy and hope in connecting their life to you they truly know what it is to be born again, to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. We pray that for them in Jesus' name. Amen.